0: Instead of just throwing it all out on the line, which can be terrifying, try throwing your needs out there in smaller ways and noticing when they're met, and especially notice when they're met with enthusiasm. Sometimes people are much more willing to give us what we're asking for than we realize.
1: Welcome back to dating intentionally. I'm Talia. I'm a dating coach, and I'm sharing no nonsense advice for navigating modern dating with confidence and ease, whether you've been on dozens of dates or you're just getting started. I believe dating can be fun. It can also be an avenue to work on healing or insecure attachment. And I can't wait for you to hear this deep dive with our guests on anxious attachment specifically. Before we get into this episode, I just want to let you know that I put together a new free resource for you that's going to help you so much when it comes to navigating different situations in dating. I'm calling it the Dating Troubleshooting Guide. This guide is basically like a handy cheat sheet for what to do when the inevitable happens, like when you're getting to know someone amazing, but they're traveling for a few weeks after your third date, or what to say and do when they're great in person, but their texting is so dry and slow. With this guide, you don't have to worry about what course of action to take when these things come up in dating, and you know they will. You can get this free dating troubleshooting guide in my Instagram bio. I'm at dating.intentionally on Instagram. You just click on the profile link in there and you'll see where to download it. Today, we're getting deep into anxious attachment with my guest, Ricky Close, the author of Anxious Hearts Guide and the voice behind the Instagram account of the same name. We aren't covering what attachment styles are in this episode because I wanted to make the most of Ricky's time and wisdom. So if you have no idea what attachment is, I highly recommend going back and listening to episode number 22, which is called the four attachment styles and how to spot them on dates or just Google or search attachment styles on Spotify and find a podcast or book or article about it. There's a lot of different resources you can use to learn about what these four styles are. This episode is for you if you think or know you're anxiously attached, or if you want to learn what goes through the mind and heart of someone who is anxiously attached. We get into why it feels so horrible when our anxious attachment is activated, why anxious attachers feel like their needs are too much even when they're basic, how to create more security and emotional safety within ourselves when dating, advice for healing anxious attachment, and tips for navigating communication with avoidant partners. Today's guest, Ricky Close, is a self taught expert on attachment. After she got divorced, she spent years in therapy, reading books, journaling, and spending loads of time and energy on healing her anxious attachment and learning everything she could possibly could. Ricky started her Instagram account, Anxious Hearts Guide, a few years ago and published her book of the same name, which you can find on Amazon in early 2022. Ricky also has another book about the anxious and avoidant dynamic coming out this summer. So keep your eye out for that. This conversation was so enlightening and inspiring. So let's get into it. Ricky, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to get into this conversation with you about attachment.
0: Yeah, I am too. I've been following your account a really long time. It's always delightful. I love the way that you word things and it's it's a pleasure to get to meet you too.
1: Yay. Okay. Well, to kick things off, I want to ask you a question. This is a hinge prompt that I've slanted mm-hmm. for you. I know you haven't done a lot of online dating recently as you were recently engaged, <laughs> yeah. uh, but okay, you ready? <laughs> this one is my self-care routine is... Ooh. Ooh, that's a really
0: good one. So is this, this is how I would personally respond to that one. Or just like what it is for you right now. It doesn't have to be for him. Just like, what is your self-care routine? (sighs) This is like not groundbreaking at all, but I have like Sunday afternoon is like my time to make sure I like check over my body. I'm like, have I let my nails go? Have I, is my skin really dry? And it's funny how throughout the week I'll kind of neglect that stuff. But if I kind of do a reset on Sunday and Sunday's my day to make sure that I haven't let anything go. And I always have let something go. <laughs> yeah. Sunday Sunday afternoon is my time to go. Okay. Check check everything over and make sure I'm still taking care of myself.
1: I love how attainable that is. It's not daily. It's like, yeah. I and mean, obviously you probably have some daily stuff too, but that's like your self-care time Sunday. What have I been neglecting? Mm-hmm. That's like so, 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 so attainable. I love it.
0: Yeah, it's not bad. Once a week. Any, almost anybody could do that, I would think. Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, thank you for sharing that. But I think honestly, that would be a great hinge prompt answer. Like that's very specific, a little different than the normal, like, you know, laundry and bubble baths. I don't
0: know. <laughs> right. Well, don't get me wrong. A bubble bath is included yeah. in the Sunday afternoon. But <laughs> that's why I thought it wouldn't be too groundbreaking. But I guess having it be a one day a week thing is probably the thing that's different.
1: Yes, love it. Okay, so just Mm -hmm. jumping right in. I know, you know, I did a lot of research on you. I've been following you for a while, and (laughs) I read your book, and you mentioned that you started educating yourself about attachment after your divorce. So when you started, did you ever dream or have any idea that you would write a book about healing attachment too? No, and
0: honestly, when I first started digging into attachment, I didn't even realize that I was going to find ways to change my style that's kind of nuts. I really just wow. wanted to solve and like, okay, here I am. I'm suddenly divorced. What was my part of that? How did I contribute to this? Because it's never just one person, you know? So I found attachment theory and anxious attachment specifically. And I honestly thought I would just be learning about maybe like ways that I could warn future partners about how <laughs> I am or, or ways that I could find partners who would be compatible with like at the very base level of attachment theory Uh I was like okay how am I only going to ever meet and talk to secure people for the rest of time like that was my very (laughs) misguided yeah I think it's pretty common so a a year or two into it when I saw myself changing based on everything that I was reading and found Mm -hmm. all the tools for coping with anxious attachment and actually moving towards secure I realized I could be with anybody and that was really exciting. It was like, it doesn't matter what someone's attachment style is, as long as you realize how you show up and what your struggles are, and you have like positive ways to communicate with them about theirs, it almost makes incompatibility a myth. I mean, there are definitely incompatibilities, but attachment is not one of them. And that's that's very exciting.
1: I never thought about it like that. That is Mm -hmm. so true, though. When you, yes, when you work on healing it, it's like you become more flexible in the ways of attachment. Oh, wow. Okay. How would your freshly divorced self react if she saw this book or like knew that your future self wrote this book?
0: Boy, she'd be excited. She'd be really excited. She was in a rough spot. She was pretty depressed. It was, it was a rough time after that. But to see that you can find your way out of this, I think she'd also be incredibly hopeful, which is kind of the feeling that I'm trying to give other people who are really struggling with this too.
1: Yes. And you do. You really do with all of your amazing content. If you're oh, listening, just you can go to Instagram right now and give Ricky a follow at Anxious Hearts Guide. That's yeah, heart's thanks. plural. yeah. Heart's plural. That's I regret that. But it, yeah, that's that's me, Anxious Hearts Guide. And I know you recently got engaged in the last few months. Congratulations. I did.
0: Thank you. Yeah. How did you meet your fiance? I actually met him on Match.com. Love it. <laughs> How funny is that? I'm sure most of your audience knows that if you do too much swiping, you actually make it to the end of the list and, the, and you've gone through all the people that fall into your Into your filter parameters, Mm -hmm. so I'd made it to the end of Bumble and the end of Tinder, and I'd run out of people. And I'm like, well, maybe there's some like weirdos hanging out on these ancient sites like Match.com. And I got an email promotional thing that was like, hey, why don't you join for free for a little bit? Like usually this costs money, but I was like, all right, I'll bite. I'm single. I made it to the end of those ones. And I hopped on Match.com and my partner, Chris, I swear, I don't know how other places are, but in Anchorage, Alaska, he was the only cute guy <laughs> on Match.com. To the rest of them, I was like, absolutely not. But I saw him and he just really stood out. So I so I sent him a message and yeah, and the rest is history, I think.
1: Well, I love it. You let me message first. Yeah. Everyone listening, just Ricky, message him first. Okay. I sure did. Just, yeah. Yes. We are, I'm always saying, <laughs> ladies, you can make the first... Contact, the first move, whatever you want to call it. So what were some key differences in how you approached dating when you met your fiance compared to before? Like when you, you know, after you had dedicated so much time and energy into healing?
0: This is hard for me to admit, but I was still pretty deeply embroiled in my anxious tendencies when I met Chris.
1: We appreciate your honesty.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it might be more helpful for me to talk about how I would approach dating now. Okay. (laughs) As opposed because Chris and I really helped each other work through a lot of stuff, I think. If something awful were to happen and he were to just vanish and I would suddenly be in the dating field now. I think the biggest difference would be I would be looking for somebody who I liked as opposed to just worrying about whether or not I could get someone to like me. Yes. Yeah, that would be (laughs) the biggest difference. I think back to that state of mind I was in and really it was just like how do I find somebody attractive to also want to spend some time with me? And that makes me so sad now to think that that's where I was at, but that's where I-,
1: I think a lot of people can relate. And I think it's your story, your journey is just a huge testament as to how you can, one, you can still find an amazing partner, even if you're not even close to being healed in any totally. way. Yeah, and- I was like 5% healed. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah, Put a number on it. I was like, nowhere near. You don't have near. to be healed to find mm-hmm. that. And, and just finding someone, like I've heard this at Advice from other people on the show who have come on, and just like finding someone who is open. Actually, it was it was Julie from the secure relationship who was talking. Oh, about. Oh, she's amazing! Yeah, this openness and willingness that you have to have, and that's like the key. That's those are the key ingredients. Like you yeah. guys are both open and willing, and that's amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Just to inspire further hope in your audience. I somehow got this gorgeous guy that I had just started going on dates with to take an attachment test. If, I'm sure just because he was so excited about me, he's like, okay, I'll do that. You suggested this? Of course I
1: suggested it. How did it. you suggest this?
0: I was like, hey, I'm really into attachment theory because I all I do is sit around and read psychology books for fun. And I was like, they have this test where you can see what your attachment style is. And he was like, I don't love the sound of that, but all right, let's give it a try. And at that time, I was testing as like severely anxious as you could get. And he took the test and it was like hardcore avoidant.
1: (laughs) It was like perfect match. Match made in heaven. (laughs) I know. It was like, we got our work cut out for us. This is going to be rough. (laughs) And he didn't run.
0: No, I mean, we had we had a lot of turbulence and back mm-hmm. and forth and pursuing and distancing in the beginning. But I think like what Julie said, when two people are willing to look at the ways that they're showing up, they don't even necessarily have to be good at showing up. It's just like, hey, True. this happened and I'm owning what my part of this and I don't want to make you feel that way. So let's figure something else out. We were quite bad at it, but our, our willingness made it
1: work. I think a lot of us are nervous to get messy. It's like going to be yeah. messy when you are learning all these skills. It's everything you talk about in your book. It's like, yes, you can read about it all day long, but yeah, doing it, it's messy. And having that grace and compassion and just that beginner mindset can help a lot. Yeah, I had
0: a I had a moment very early in our relationship where things were messy. And I'd realized I'd been messing up a lot. And I'm sitting at his kitchen table. And I just burst into tears, as you do, right? Because I didn't know what I needed to say or everything, things weren't going Mm -hmm. well. And I just burst into tears. And for a while, I'm just crying at the table. And he's just sitting there looking at me. And after and I thought, while I'm crying, like, this is it. He's I'm freaking him out. This is going to be so bad. And after I finally like caught my breath, he's just sitting there calm as can be. And he's like, well, do you feel better now? <laughs> I was like, yeah, actually, I feel a lot better. And he looks up and he goes. to good reaction, I think. Yeah. And he, he goes, I'm still here. <laughs> and I go, oh, my God, you are still here. <laughs> that is so, I
1: love that <laughs> How so sweet much. is that?
0: Yeah. And he's and- like, I hope, you know, it's okay for you to flip out. And that's not, that doesn't scare me.
1: Huge green flag. Wow. And also I wanted to say, like, when I was getting to know my fiance, I mentioned the book Attach and he bought it on the spot. And that was like, and he had never heard of attachment theory at all. And he was like, okay. And he just loves reading. So huge green flag. Yeah. Ha- like their reaction can tell you a lot or not, you know, don't judge it too hard. But, but don't be afraid to bring it up.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's not to say that everything that Chris did was perfect. There were times mm-hmm. for sure when he would be like, I don't love the sound of that. No, thank you. And then I'd be like, "Oh my god, this isn't going to work." It's, but you know, you don't need somebody to get it right a hundred percent of the time. Really, like, just if they're getting it right, like more times than not. No need to panic about the times when, when they're like, "That one's a boundary for me." No, thank you. I don't wish to be tested on an additional
1: psychology (laughs) test. Ricky, (laughs) well said. Okay, well, I have so many questions for you. I got a lot of questions for you uh, from the Instagram community. Amazing. Of course, the most common ones were about anxious attachment. So let's start mm-hmm. there. So in early dating, you read, about, you read about this in your book, some common scenarios that cause our anxious attachment to be activated are like when someone takes a long time res- to respond to a text or when we're feeling oh, unsure yeah. about their interest in us, which obviously you know very well. Oh, yeah. And in yeah. your words, it feels like hell. Like That's what you said in your book.
0: Yeah. One of the very few times I swore in my book, but I was like, that one, that one needs a stronger word.
1: So- Obviously, when we're in this state, like it's, like we're so emotional, and on a logical level, we know we're being a little irrational. Like this reaction mm-hmm. feels a lot bigger than what the situation is, but on an emotional mm-hmm. level, it's so real. So, what's really going on when we feel that activation happening?
0: Yeah. Well, this this is going to get a little science I'm ready. Yeah. Well, I think I pride myself on. I try to bring it down to the level of. Um, the less nerdy crowd who doesn't want to hear about neurotransmitters and all the horror. So um, I also love uh, Matthew Hessey calls himself like the king of metaphors. And I, and I love that about him. And I also aspire to be somebody who uses metaphors to help people understand this stuff. So when we're babies, every baby is born with an attachment system. And the attachment system is the thing that scans our whole being and goes, do I have any needs that need to be met right now? Am I hungry? Am I cold? And some babies have more sensitive attachment systems and some babies have less sensitive attachment systems. But when the baby notices that it has a need, it makes some sort of signal to the caregiver, like it cries or it squirms or Mm -hmm. anyway. So That system is something that we're born with and it stays with us forever. When we're adults, then noticing I have some sort of need or something doesn't feel right or I need closeness, that's when we, it's kind of an alarm bell that goes off in our head and says, I need to signal to the outside world that I need something. So I think that's the feeling that you're talking about probably. Mm -hmm. Yes. And especially it's part of the reason why it's not as much a logical thing either, because you can't just logic away your needs. If you're very, very hungry, you can't just go, this is not a good time to eat. I'm going to decide <laughs> yeah. not, you know, that your, your right. body says it's time for food and I need to do something about that.
1: Got it. Why is it so hard for anxious attachers to feel in control at that moment? It's it, it's eight p.m. You haven't heard that heard from them since the night before. They said they text by now, but they're not. Do You yeah. feel like you're going crazy.
0: Yeah, um, that's a wonderful question. Uh, let's bring it back to when we were babies. When that mm-hmm. alarm bell is going off, and you notice that a needs not being met. When you're an infant, it's literally life and death. If you don't right. get that, you know, if you are not able to signal to a caregiver when you're hungry or cold terrible terrible things can happen to you as an infant. So that level of urgency is still with us as a, as adults if we don't feel capable of taking care of ourselves.
1: Right. That makes that makes a lot of sense that it's crazy how we have this programming from infancy that carries with us and it's like everyone has this and you're right like what you said it's a spectrum but we all have a little bit of work to do or a lot, you know. Yeah, or a lot. <laughs> yeah, to address it. So Okay, so when we're in early dating scenarios that trigger our anxiety, what is the move here? What's a good first step to take if you're an anxious attacher?
0: Well, okay, let's say you've taken a test and the test has determined that you've got some anxious attachment thoughts or behaviors that you're struggling with. Honestly, uh, I would take the other person or thoughts of anyone else doing anything for you completely out of it. If you're just at the very beginning, really we, we need to focus a lot on how can I make give myself kind of a secure base to start from. Do I have a group of friends who I can rely on? Do I have a lot of hobbies and passions that I fill my time with? Do I feel like I'm good at noticing when I'm freaking out and I have lots of tools for calming myself down? There's a lot more, but if you don't have those basic things like that, you can forget about having a good, healthy connection with somebody else because you're going to be using that other person as a life raft if you don't have mm-hmm. any way to save yourself in the moments of panic. So that that's not to say that a lot of healing and wonderful stuff comes from our interactions with other people. But if you're dating and you don't have any kind of secure base, like
1: don't start building a
0: house without any kind of foundation at all, you know? So
1: you're saying the foundation is our relationship with ourselves. That's part of it. I think so. Mm -hmm. So let's just say I'm in the moment, right? I'm holding my phone. I'm Mm -hmm. about to send a passive aggressive text or about to just kind of stalk (laughs) them on social media or check their Bumble profile Mm -hmm. to see if they're active or what. What is the Mm -hmm. other option? Like for someone who Mm -hmm. is just learning about attachment, you know, is kind of in the beginning of their journey.
0: So it sounds like in this, in this scenario that you've described, this person is not invested at all, right? It's just somebody that you're just starting to see or mm-hmm. starting to message and you notice that they're being like a little bit flaky with their communications and you're panicking mm-hmm. a little bit. I hate to say this, but if somebody is flaky in their communications, it could be a sign that they might not be somebody that you should pursue. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it though is that this might be a moment for you to get really bold and speak up vulnerably about the things that you need. Scripts have been really helpful to my followers, I've found. And one thing to say is, hey, like I, I really I I like you. I'm interested in this. I also really like, like a lot of communication in the beginning. I like consistency. And sometimes it scares me a little bit when that doesn't feel like it's there. And that can be really confronting or somebody can be really appreciative, like, hey, thank you for telling me that. I was really busy. I didn't mean to freak you out.
1: That actually did happen to me. Did it? I was on the other end. So I was dating someone who was more anxious than me. And we had a date planned Mm -hmm. for like four o'clock in the afternoon, but he didn't hear from me in the morning. And I was just going about my day. We were on for the night. Like there was no, I think we confirmed the day before the whole thing. And then when I, but when I showed up to the date, he like confronted me. He was like, I actually was freaking out all day because I didn't hear from you. And I felt, I was like, oh my God, thank you so much for telling me. I really had no idea. I can absolutely make an effort to reach yeah. out in the morning. Like it wasn't a problem at all because I'm I'm more secure at this point in my journey, like thankfully. And it just was like, okay, cool. What a healthy, secure response that was. That's lovely. And how soothing to him to hear, you know? For sure. And I think this is just another kind of reinforcer for folks to do this because then you can see how they yeah. react and you might get that secure reaction. Or not, and then you'll decide what to do.
0: Totally, I love that because it's it's valid too in that scenario for you to be like, oh, hey, I had a really busy morning, and I'm I'm not I'm not somebody who's super communicative about that. If we set up a date, I'm cool. That's like a perfectly fine way to be, and it, but it might mean that you're not like an excellent match for that guy, you know?
1: Yeah, I wasn't. I, I wasn't. Right. so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, not you know, but I did give it a shot. So back to what you were talking about earlier about speaking about your needs, I think, let me know if you agree about this or not, but I feel like a lot of anxious attachers I can guess whether or not their needs are reasonable. That's probably
0: the most common question that I get on yeah. the account. Like, I have no idea how to tell whether or not these things that I feel like I need are reasonable or worth needing mm-hmm. or or they're the very thing that's pushing people away man, that's a tough one. And I wish I had a really cut and dried answer for you. Like here are reasonable needs and here are unreasonable needs. But the very unsatisfying answer to that is that the reasonable needs that I can pinpoint are just insanely obvious.
1: And I have a list. I actually wrote down a list of what you said. You can if you want. Yeah. 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 So just so listeners can know this is from one of your posts that you said, these are healthy and normal to want and need in a relationship. Regular, predictable contact for both people to welcome and bring up needs and concerns. Open conversations about where the relationship is going. A significant other who is aware of our triggers. Intentional mm-hmm. time together for both partners to deeply respect limits conflict that's treated as important and that gets resolved and a partner who puts mm-hmm. in effort and wants their relationship to work.
0: Yes. Those are so beautiful. But I, I think the frustrating thing for people is their vagueness, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, like consistent contact. They're like, okay, so does that mean that they need to text me once every hour or once every day or once every week? And I, and that's the frustrating thing is that we have to decide what that looks like for us. And then we Mm -hmm. need to talk to them about what that looks like for them, you know, and see if both people like can meet in the middle or if, or if we're way missing each other, you know, in that conversation. So that's what I say. That's what I mean. I wish that I could say we need to have contact every two hours. That's reasonable (laughs) and healthy. And it's like, no, it's just consistency is the healthy thing to ask for, but you have to determine between you and your partner or potential partner whether or not you can line up on that.
1: Yeah, and everything you say about this is so validating. Like, these are things that are normal to need. These are things that are healthy that like probably every human needs on some level. And yes, it looks different in every relationship. But why is it so hard for anxious attachers to speak their need for something so universal like consistent contact?
0: Yeah, probably a lot of the people pleasing that we do for us. Let's take it back to that infant stage. Not the infant stage, but maybe like small children thing. When we saw our needs being met inconsistently, it probably felt safer to us when we needed less. Mm. Like we noticed that we would call out to our caregivers and sometimes they were busy or sometimes they responded in ways that didn't quite scratch that itch. And so the message that we internalized was that our needs are inconvenient. Our needs are... Too much for our caregivers. So so that's when we start trying to be easier to love. And that's yes. that's a really tough attitude to carry into adulthood. But it it means that when you notice a need, like, dang, I want them to talk to me more. That terrible anxious part of your brain is going like, well, that's needy. Like, don't, don't ask for it's that. It's too much. Like, right. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah. You'll be
1: easier to love if you just like suppress that and don't and don't bring it up. What's something we can do if we feel like we don't deserve it?
0: This is also. I hate that. Um, I feel like um, it's like lean into discomfort, and people like, I don't want to do that. But the the discomfort of if if your brain is telling you, I don't want to speak up about this, then that's the exact thing that you probably need to do. Instead of just throwing it all out on the line, which can be terrifying, we can take those steps in smaller ways. That's what I try to. I think I recommend that in my book too. Try throwing your needs out there in smaller ways and noticing when they're met and especially notice when they're met with enthusiasm. Sometimes people are much more willing to give us what we're asking for than we realize.
1: Yeah, I think, and there are a lot of opportunities for that in early dating. And part of this, to me, kind of overlaps with boundary setting, like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't stay out past 10, or could we meet earlier, you know, or yeah. just like making little requests like that, or like, oh, I don't drink. Can we just not yeah. go to a, can we skip the bar and get dessert, you know, something like that.
0: Yeah, and it's nice, too, to be able to see what, how they're reacting to those things, especially right. when we're in the early phase when we're dating, we can throw out those little requests and And ask ourselves, all right, is this person responding with enthusiasm or care? Or are they responding with defensiveness or telling me that that's a silly thing to request? That can kind of help us vet whether or not somebody might be a good match.
1: And I want to touch back on something you said about if there's a part of you that's telling you not to do something, but you have to lean into it. That is going to help me help me heal my more avoidant attachment so much. Like when I was feeling the need to withdraw, that's when I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. nope, nope. You got to say it. You got to do it. You got to go close. Like I, my, my fiance is a big quality time person and I definitely want more space and like time alone. Sure. There were times when we were dating where he would want to watch a TV together, but like we were not we were separate, like he was in his apartment and I was in mine. So we'd yeah. watch live. And a lot of times I kind of oh. didn't want to, but I knew that this was like quality time for him, even if we weren't physically together and I just would do it yeah. anyway and stuff oh. like that. Yeah. I love it. And the other thing is just, we can cultivate a confidence in ourselves by leaning mm-hmm. into the fear in other parts of our life. It doesn't have to be in relationships. Totally. Like if you're doing things that scare you in other parts of your life, it's easier to do it in relationships. That's what I found at least.
0: No, absolutely. I mentioned that kind of thing in my book too. I've always been somebody who struggles a lot with anxiety, and I've noticed that anything that I'm feeling anxiety about, rather than listening to that that fear, it does really help a lot for me to ask get curious about the fear. Okay, I'm noticing that I'm having a lot of anxiety around attending this event on Saturday, there's this huge list of things that I'm afraid of happening. But I also notice that I haven't told myself anything good about the event. I haven't done anything to relax in the in the few days leading up to the event to honor the fact that I'm kind of an anxious person. And any of those things that we can do in our real life outside of our relationship, those do they translate to the relationship as well.
1: I love that advice so much. It's again so doable, so tangible, mm-hmm. just when you think about it like that. So I want to talk about anxious and attachment and dating a little bit more. So sure. what are some tips for feeling more secure in early dating when there isn't any commitment and you're just exploring a new connection? <sighs> that's that's a that's the question, isn't it? That's tough. Yeah. I know I we think... can't even we can't fully f- get there, but what are some tips Why? to move in that direction?
0: Well, I think a lot of security in the early dating has to come from ourselves. That's not Mm -hmm. a fun answer. Nobody wants to hear that, but. I love that answer. (laughs) Well, it's true, it's true. Um, I remember worrying, like I would meet somebody and I would be really excited about them. And I would be like, gosh, if this doesn't work out I'm gonna feel so lonely again and that'll be horrible. But if I had approached that from a position of like security in myself, I would know that I can be excited about somebody But if they disappear or they don't choose to see me anymore, I still have my writing and I still have that Saturday night plan with my best friend. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do to create security in our own lives when it's not coming from a relationship or outside place.
1: I love this answer because, again, it's tangible. Like, this only requires ourselves. We don't need to build security. Like, you can literally do this anytime because you have yourself like with you at all times. So it feels more doable because of that. Yes.
0: Yeah. Lately, my poor followers have been asking a lot about how they can get their partner to do this or get their partner to do that. And increasingly I'm telling them like, we really have to accept that we can't get other people to do anything. And, mm-hmm. and being able to accept that we're the only ones that we can control, we're the only ones whose environment we can, really, we can really have any control over, I think there's some security in that. I know that myself and the things that I can control about myself are a secure place for me, and I can always return to that no matter how I'm feeling about how the weird or unpredictable ways that other people are acting.
1: Right. I love that too. I find a lot of comfort in that idea as well of like, Mm -hmm. I can only really control my reaction to this. And that's pretty much it. What are some ways we can practice not attaching too early in dating? Yeah, that's tough. For me, um,
0: rules for myself helped. Mm -hmm. Rules are a controversial word, but I would tell myself, No matter how excited I am about this person, I will resist the urge to try to label the relationship two weeks in, right? That might be like if you notice that you have some impulses that don't even align with what you want for yourself, like setting a rule for yourself can be helpful, like no matter how okay, Ricky, I'm excited about this person, but no matter how excited I am, I'm not going to bring that conversation up two weeks in because I don't feel like I can know
1: somebody well enough to ask that two weeks in. Right. But backing up before that, like, great, you have the rule. Like if that's your example, how do you even know you have to make a rule for that tendency? What if I don't know that my tendency of wanting to label the relationship after two weeks is getting in the way? Oh, that's tough. That's tough. I think that was only after a lot of reflection on what
0: had gone wrong in previous dating experiences for me. I'm very big on lists. So that was included in one of my lists. What are some of the ways that I may be getting in my own way in dating and relationships? And that's something that I'd written down. Like I noticed that I have the urge to make it official Instantly. And I I don't want to do that. So then I would make a rule based on that. Another one, I noticed that as soon as the relationship gets physical, I'm thinking about our children's names. So (laughs) so for me, I was like, I need a rule for myself that I can't engage physically unless X, Y, Z, because I know that that makes makes me go Mm -hmm. a little off the deep end.
1: Reflection, right? That's Mm -hmm. really, Mm -hmm. reflection is like precedes awareness. So yeah, I definitely, I I love that. If you're able to get yourself in front of a therapist,
0: they can probably help you uncover some of those too. Oh, I have questions Um, on that.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. We're going to get into therapy too. (laughs) Yeah. Just before we move on from this, I guess one thing I've, I learned when it comes to attachment and Mm -hmm. also relationships is how important emotional safety is in Uh, all of this work. So What's a yeah. way we can create more emotional safety for ourselves when we're dating and single and exploring versus trying to create emotional safety within a relationship?
0: Ooh, that's a great question. I might need a second to think about that one. <laughs>
1: what, what's a way that we can create emotional safety for
0: ourselves? Validating our own ideas about what we want and what we feel is something really great that we can do for ourselves. I know a lot of anxious folks look to other people like, is it okay that I asked this and I needed this? And like, mm. stop doing that, my anxious hearts. It really just breaks my heart when I hear that. Like, you can validate your own needs and wants with practice. And that's another thing. It's not e- it's not easy to tell yourself it's okay that I want to spend four or five days a week with this person. That's hard to say to yourself, but with practice and. Honestly, my friends were really helpful with that too. Mm-hmm. Like my friends and family who I know care about me, um, sometimes if I was feeling a lot of self-doubt, I would run some of those things by them just to see like, hey, am I totally off base with this? My sister was the best for this. I'd be like, I, I feel like I want to spend like five days a week with this guy. Is that like a weird thing for me to ask for? And you got to be a little bit careful because of course her answer is going to come from her own ideas and values and needs. But to hear her say like, no, Ricky, that's like a totally normal, like some people spend even more time together than that. Mm -hmm. That helped me be able to sit back and tell myself, hey, Ricky, this is an okay thing to want. And if somebody else freaks out about that, that's probably on them and not, I'm not being weird with that request. In the same vein, I asked her like, I texted him, And he, it's been like an hour and a half and he hasn't responded yet. And I know he has his phone because I have evidence for that. And she was like, that's really kind of not great. (laughs) She was much more harsh with her words. And that was helpful for me too, though. Because then I was like, gosh, does that even line up with who I want to be? You know, do I want to be the person who needs a text back an hour and a half after? It was helpful for me to kind of pull my friends and family and be like, so this is a normal thing to want. Hearing them say that it was 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 helpful, but then I could internalize that. Like, I feel good about this thing that I want, regardless yeah. of what somebody on a dating app has to say about it.
1: I love that. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's a mm-hmm. great answer. I love the idea of just valuing ourselves, and also it's mm-hmm. okay to rely on people you trust who, who you know care about you. Also,
0: yeah, I think it is. I know some of social media will lean away from that. Like, no, you have to only rely on yourselves. But a lot of this stuff is relational. And it's, if we don't trust ourselves in the first place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it's hard. It can be hard, right? Building trust with yourself. But if you need totally. some support along the way, some training wheels yeah. or whatever you want to call it, like a little guide, like the bowling when you're on the, the guiding rail, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, exactly. Yeah, the bumpers. Yeah, you can have, <laughs> yeah, have bumpers in your life, right? That's the whole point of our, of our
0: support system. Is people that we trust that care about our well-being. Yeah,
1: clearly, I haven't yeah, gone great in a while. <laughs> right? no, <that's> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, one thing I noticed about anxious detachers, and and including some of my friends and even myself, when I've been the anxious one in relationships, we care a lot about constantly improving the relationship.
0: Oh yeah, um, our need to feel like we're working on the relationship all the time and that it's always improving. Unfortunately, I think that's one of those like falsely safe feeling things. When we feel like we're doing something about the things that are causing mm-hmm. us pain, it's like, oh, this feels good because I'm staying ahead of this danger. But unfortunately, that's exactly what anxiety tells us, right? As an anxious person, not just in my relationships, but just in real life, I notice that I try to exert a lot of control over everything too, because that feels like safety to me when really I find a lot better life results when I'm able to kind of kind of let go of that control a little mm-hmm. bit and go, do I feel like I can do good things for myself and keep myself safe even if this catastrophic thing were to occur? Yes, I do. And that's something that can translate to dating and relationships well also if you're able to learn how to do it. Yeah.
1: I think one thing that I'm working on in my relationship is mm-hmm. trusting that my partner will also put an effort to like making improvements as needed, and also just accepting that we're not always going to be on our at our best all the time. That's okay because totally. we have the foundation, and we don't need to be like firing on all cylinders every <laughs> single week. You know, to yeah. maintain a great relationship and connection. Those two things yeah. have helped me. And I'm still working on this. I still like... Oh, it's forever work. We're about to start therapy, uh, like premarital therapy. And I'm really nervous about it, like how it's going to play out because he's doing it because he he knows it's important to me. Which is a beautiful thing. Right. So that's beautiful. (laughs) And yeah. I'm still nervous. I'm still nervous about how it's going to play out. So instead of like listening and leaning into my nerves, I'm trying to lean into the trust and also just the curiosity of like, what's going to happen if I get me and my fiance in a, in a room with a therapist? What, how is that going to go?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So, what, an, what an adventure. You'll probably yeah. run into all sorts of things that you're not prepared for and didn't A anticipate. lot of discomfort
1: coming my yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what an opportunity, you know? Yeah. What an opportunity. That'll be awesome. I'm excited. So I want to talk a little about healing anxious attachment we, we're gonna get into the therapy thing but something you talk a lot about in your book is the importance of self-care in the form of physical activity like working out doing sports and other movement yeah. and I, I just I haven't heard that as much in other books so can you talk more about why this is so important in the healing process Yeah I've gotten a lot of pushback on that one really I think I just think it's different I'm just like okay that's a different approach
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and I worry too that back when I wrote my book maybe I should have Preface that with, hey, this is kind of anecdotal. It was very helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe not necessarily super helpful for everybody, but there is a lot of research on how physical movement can really help us with anxiety. So I'm really surprised that that's not more of a discussion about anxious attachment. A a great example is when I would be sitting in my house wondering if my favorite flavor of the week was going to text me back. It was really helpful for me to get outside and go on a really long walk or a run, Mm. being able to move my body. And you'll see about this in a lot of uh, the trauma books that when we have those alarm bells firing in our head, our body can't really tell the difference between like an impending work deadline and a lion because all these things were, all these things in our brain were wired back when we were worried about being eaten or attacked, you Mm. know? So these, this alarm system is alerting us to danger and being able to move your body and do something about it, it gets us out of our head, it gets us into our body. Instead, I found it very, very calming and very anxiety relieving. That makes total sense. I think a lot of people have this impulse to make the thoughts in their head go away or to soothe the thoughts. And sometimes, sometimes we're not really going to be able to to calm those that well. For me, getting back into my body, going on a run or doing some mm. yoga or some stretching, it was really comforting in ways that CBT, you know, challenging those negative thoughts was not comforting. So being able to move or like dance, I would like dance or sing like alone and mm. not out in public,
1: of course, but like
0: alone <laughs> in my house. Some people <laughs> like it. I'm very, I'm kind of shy, but being able to move Being able to move freely, like it really, it felt like a signal to my body that was like, "You're okay, you know, you're okay." There's not a lion, there's not a lion that you have to like figure out in your mind how to how to get
1: safe from. Like instead,
0: you're you're here, you're singing, you're dancing. Like you're gonna be all right.
1: I like I like the advice. I mean, I think it bleeds into the self-care thing. It, like it, you kind of yeah. talk about this in the book and how much it supports investing in yourself and self-care as yes. well as managing these emotions and these sensations in our body. So I, I'm i into yeah. it. I just never, oh, I just definitely it. never heard it. And I also want to touch on the importance of therapy, which has definitely helped me the most in my journey along with journaling and just pouring loads of energy into cool. myself. I don't know how yeah. you feel about this, but sometimes when I'm interacting pe- with people in my DMs, I feel like incapable of helping s- some people because they'll bring up serious important issues that need to be discussed with the therapist. So I'll be I'll gently be like therapy, you know. Yeah, uh, maybe. Like, <laughs> yeah. So my question for you <laughs> is, what does mm-hmm. this work in therapy actually look and feel like?
0: Hmm. Well, I think one important thing to consider is the difference between a therapist and a coach. Right. Mm-hmm. A therapist is somebody who's going to be hopefully traveling a little bit farther back with you and looking at how some of these troublesome thoughts or behaviors were formed maybe in childhood maybe in early adulthood and that's and that can be really helpful and wonderful in ways that you're not going to get from little snippets on social media you know and at the same time i'm finding a new respect for the coaching world coaching folks are telling people how to do actionable things to change the behaviors mm-hmm. and thoughts that are so that's really helpful too, and also maybe not something that you're gonna get as much from therapy,
1: right? And yeah, I obviously I I don't work one on one with people as a coach right now, mm-hmm. but yeah, my therapist I've been working with for six years, and there are still things yeah. that we talked about years ago that are like clicking now because I am. I do feel like I am figuring out on my own a little bit because she can't tell me what to do. And there was a moment where I right. I like told her that I, I'm like I think I av- I'm avoidant, and she's like, finally, uh, <laughs> she's like, oh, oh, I love it. That. She didn't want to say it. <laughs> no, oh, that's funny. so. Yeah, I love that answer. And and you know, therapy is one way we can grow. You also have this whole list that I saw on your social media about how anxious and avoidant attachers can grow. Here are some of the favorite things from the list of how anxious attachers can grow that I have. So you wrote Mm -hmm. express needs and accept them as good, learn Mm -hmm. new independent abilities, practice making requests instead of criticizing, Mm -hmm. practice gracefully accepting and hearing no. Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. And practice pausing and journaling before confrontation, which I think is a huge one.
0: Yeah. So yeah, if you're an anxious attacher and you're listening to to tell you're reading that list and you're like, I don't want to do any of those. That's how you know that that's,
1: that's where your work is. Again, I guess I would love to hear if you have anything to add to this list specifically for daters who are not in a relationship when maybe they're not confronting anyone or they're not mm. having to express needs because they're just like on a first date.
0: I do have advice for that. Actually. I, I have a couple of best friends in real life, of course, not, not on dating apps or anything. My, my best friends in real life I've found are wonderful places for me to practice asserting Mm -hmm. my needs. And because they're safe, they're safe places to do that. You know, it's so hard and maybe impossible to tell a brand new date, like I have this need and it looks like this. And I was wondering how you would respond to that. That's, that's a really tall order when you're brand new, you know, you you hardly know somebody, but
1: and it doesn't really work because there's no foundation. There's no foundation, exactly. It's not really appropriate.
0: It's not really appropriate, right? But with a but with a long-standing best friend, I found that I was like, "All right, I'm I want to be the kind of person who can speak up about their needs." So, if it was something that was really bothering me, I would tell I would warn my best friend like, "Okay, I'm going to practice this boundary setting thing." <laughs> like I'm, I'd l- I I'd. have this thing that's bothering me and I would like to know if we could do it this way instead. And he would be like, oh, my God, totally. Like, thanks for bringing right. that up. Or I could bring it up in smaller ways. Like, I don't know, like maybe if we're hanging out and he's like, oh, I'm going to make some cocktails. And I'd be like, you know, I don't really feel like drinking tonight. Maybe we could just have like like sodas or something, you know, and he'd be like, yeah. oh, okay, that's totally cool. So right. just getting getting some practice asserting myself in a safe place, that was like insanely helpful. And I definitely think would translate to early daters so that you didn't feel like you had to lay down these tough ones. You would just be more likely to bring something up because you've had so many good experiences in the past with bringing up your needs. I
1: love that advice. Okay. So the last mm-hmm. little, little set of questions I have for you is more about you and your amazing relationship that you've developed with someone who is an av- more avoidant. And yeah. you've done this incredible job of showcasing your relationship on social media. And I wish I had found your account when I was in my last oh. relationship with an avoidant and I was the anxious attacher. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know why I wasn't like following people who talked about this online. I don't know. But <laughs> in the beginning, you t- talked a little about this, that like you guys had a lot of work to do in the beginning, but how did you know it was worth working on with him? Yeah. I get that question a lot too. I guess that's a tough one. Well, I think because people are worried about the sunk cost fallacy or like, they're kind of like, how do I know? Like the the anxious mind wants to know the future, right? It's like, how do I know it's going to be worth it if I put energy into
0: this? Oh man. But this this answer is frustrating too. I had no idea. You know, I truly, I had no idea and he was incredibly avoidant. So it's not like I can say I could tell that he was working on things he wasn't. You know, he wasn't working on anything. Were you, or, just, were you
1: just curious, like to let it play out and see what would happen?
0: I think, I think he he fascinated me. He fascinated mm. me. I'd never been I'd never been so interested in another person and how their brain worked ever. Well, um, I think also you had like a new lens on this, maybe. I right? did have it. No, okay. Oh my God, that may be it. You may have just solved it right there. <laughs> He was somebody in the past I would I would run into avoidant men, and they were gorgeous and shiny because, of course, there's nothing an anxious attacher loves better than an avoidant, right? But I didn't understand where any of it was coming from. So I would see these avoidant behaviors, and they'd be frustrating, and they would make me feel terrible, and there was no interest. There was no interest because it just hurt, and I just wanted mm-hmm. to know how to stop hurting. But the more and more that I read about avoidant attachment, I would see this... This super interesting person reacting the way he did. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I know what's behind that, you know? Yes. So (laughs) so because of that, it didn't scare me. I think that was Uh, nice, right? I would see him distancing when things would start to heat up. I don't know where I came up with the bravery to do it, but I would ask him about it. You know, it would be like, hey, I noticed you pulled away and he was like oh my gosh nobody's ever like called me out on that before what is happening (laughs) and we would have these wonderful conversations isn't that great and you'd be like oh my gosh I am pulling away I didn't even
1: realize I was doing that also like it sounds like you weren't having a big emotional reaction to that you were just like Mm -mm. calmly evenly just calling that I was like hey I've noticed like an an observation not a criticism like why do you always pull away this was horrible yes and I was gonna ask like What are some tips you have? What should we keep in mind when making requests or expressing needs to an avoidant partner?
0: Yeah, we touched on it earlier, being able to sit down and write it out. You know, Mm -hmm. when you're all activated and you're freaking out, being able to sit down and write it out, talk about it with yourself before you bring it to them. That is so helpful because approaching somebody, anybody, regardless of their style, in an activated state, they're going to be like defensive. So I learned to kind of try to calm myself down a little before I went to him. Now that wasn't a hundred percent of the time. Sometimes Mm. things would happen that needed to be addressed in the moment. And I was kind of activated, but then I was able to draw. I had a better pool of sentences that I could draw from. I used to, my pool of sentences used to look like you never, or you always. And I just, just like, I'm just going to throw those, that pool of sentences out the window. And I'm going to practice, I would write in my journal and I would read these nice sentences that I could say instead, which was so helpful when I was freaking out. I love that. Yeah. And then I would come to him freaking out and my freak out wouldn't be like accusatory and finger pointing. It would be like, I'm feeling big emotions right now and I don't know what to do with them. You know, It's like (laughs) vulnerable stuff. And then he was like, oh my gosh, tell me more. What
1: does that mean? (laughs) How long have you guys been together? Five years. Oh, wow. Do you feel like in this five years you've moved, like you've had more earned security?
0: Oh my God. I can't even express how secure we are compared to, I mean, oh, I we we broke up eight times in the beginning, like never really? for more. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> never for more than a day. And only because we didn't know how to solve an argument. One or the other would call back the very next day and be like, this is dumb. Like, why did we decide to break up? That's like, not the solution. <laughs> And we would never do that now. I want to say the past three years, probably, we don't have discussions like that. It's not like maybe we should stop seeing each other. It's like, wow, this is a really intense argument. Maybe we need to like sit down at the table and really talk this one out. So, I mean, we've just found so many. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? I, I would not have even thought that was possible in the beginning of He and I.
1: That's amazing. I mean, your whole story is so beautiful and inspiring. And I'm so happy that I get to share it with that you're sharing this with my audience. And everything you've said of it has been really insightful, even though I feel like I want to call this episode like Ricky's frustrating answers. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you can if you want. I'm comfortable frustrating people now. (laughs) But I think it's like, it's just part of it. Like we have like, yes, this stuff is kind of frustrating and we have to just embrace it. And so I love hearing that. So my last question (laughs) for you is What do you want to see more of in dating culture?
0: Ooh, there's a lot I want to see more of in dating culture. I think maybe like the best possible thing that could ever happen to dating culture would be curiosity and empathy for the other person's Mm -hmm. experience. Like there's way too much, if I may pull this phrase onto another podcast, if he wanted to, he would. It's like, you can't just look at somebody's behavior and go, I know exactly what's happening and it means this and I hate it. and that person's trash. Like that's what I see a lot of. And um, with a lot of like curiosity and empathy, it could be like, okay, here I am dating. This is a scary place. I notice this person doing this thing that's frustrating or confusing. Well, I'm gonna ask them about it. Like that that would change things so much. Like I wish yeah. somebody would have asked me about my frustrating and confusing behavior instead of just saying I don't want to see you anymore. I'm gonna cut this thing off. Or maybe there are people that I should have asked. Why, hey, I noticed this thing. Anything you want to say about that? I'm really curious about it. Instead of just saying,
1: nah, I'm not going to see that person anymore. I talk about curiosity a lot on this podcast, so I'm glad that you said that. And where can we find more of you? Where can If, if listeners want to connect with you, where can we reach you?
0: Yeah, I think uh, Anxious Hearts Guide, the at, you know, at Anxious Hearts mm-hmm. Guide, I spend an embarrassing amount of time per day on Instagram. I'm there constantly all day long. I can't really reply to DMs because that inbox is just totally overwhelmed, but I see every DM on my Patreon. So that's a cool place to connect with me, which would just be patreon.com forward slash anxious hearts guide. You can find my books on Amazon and audible. The Audible's doing quite well. I narrate it that's kind of Your narration of fun. is awesome. Your voice is so oh, calming. Thank you. I love it. Thank yeah. you. I know my, my partner and my son, they like sampled it and they were like, that doesn't even sound like you. You sound like you're on a commercial. <laughs> the Audible's doing great. I, it's very exciting. Um, that's a good place for you to consume my book. If you don't have time to sit down and read. Yeah. Instagram honestly is the best place though. That community is beautiful. I just, I just love the comments and all the people yes. on there. Awesome.
1: We will link all those things in the show notes. Thank you so much, Ricky, for sharing, being open, just giving us your all. I really appreciate this a lot.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having me. This one's been a long time coming. I've wanted to sit and talk to you for a while now.
1: So what do you think? Are you ready to do this work, even though it's probably going to be frustrating and uncomfortable? I'll tell you what, what's more frustrating and uncomfortable is keeping up with the same patterns and relationships that keep you from experiencing the security, closeness, and intimacy you desire and deserve. I hope this conversation inspired you to take some baby steps towards healing, whether it's going for a walk and you feel like your anxiety is taking over or practicing speaking up about your needs with friends. I highly recommend Ricky's book, Anxious Hearts Guide, which I'll link in the show notes. It's a quick read. And at the very least, go follow her on Instagram at Anxious Hearts Guide. That's all one word. One of my favorite takeaways from this conversation is how Ricky's ability to show up in relationships changed once she was even just aware of attachment styles and how they might be affecting what's going on on the surface of her relationship. We don't always know how things will turn out, but I feel like Ricky's journey is a great example of what can happen when you face the messiness of relationships head on with someone else who's also willing to try and do the work. I'd love to hear from you if you're still listening. Shoot me a message on Instagram or comment below if you're listening on Spotify. What was your favorite tip or biggest takeaway from this conversation with Ricky? I can't wait to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love it if you share this episode with someone who's navigating dating and might need a little confidence boost or some tough love or just help with their attachment style. If any of these episodes have helped you in your journey, you can help me by leaving a stunning review on Apple or giving Dating Intentionally five stars on Spotify. I'd really appreciate it. Once again, I'm Talia. This has been Dating Intentionally and I'll catch you next time.